Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning. There's a lot of y'all. I do notice the front row, though, is suspiciously empty. It's like when I preach, I think it's a Gallagher show. Hell, I bet. Do I have, oh, yeah, I got enough people that recognize a Gallagher reference. All right. I've been in some rooms just like, who? Like, oh, millennials. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not the normal preacher, in case you don't know that, in case you're new here. I'm not the normal guy. Um, so if, uh, if you don't like the way I do it, come back next week. But uh, I'm Adam. I'm filling in for Pastor Jonathan. He is on vacation with his family. Uh, we always encourage our pastors to be with their families, take vacations with their families. I always encourage all y'all working people, take time with your families. We get in America, we get too into providing for our families and we forget that we should be with our families sometimes. It's real easy to do. So if you're in that position, just take a mental index right now and, and figure out, I'm actually in that position. I need to be more intentional because our pastors do it. So I'm happy to fill in. We're continuing with the hymn series, singing praises to our God. The theme verse for this week or for this uh, entire series is Psalm 40, verse 3. He has given me a new song to sing a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Won't that be an incredible day? Amen. So, as has already, you probably figured out, it is well with my soul is the hymn we're doing this week. I don't know, how many of you all know the story behind this hymn, how how it got written? Anybody? One? Got one brave. Oh, two. Okay. There's a couple. Oh, three. All right, there we go. I get some late, late entries in the hand-raising game. Oh, it's okay to actually raise our hand. Yeah, that's cool. You can actually talk, too. You can say, ha. So this hymn, to me, is incredible, not just because it's incredibly beautiful, incredibly powerful, but the story, the, like the genesis of it, the story about how it was created is, is uh, well, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you judge it, and I might not be able to get through it without crying a little bit. Um, it was written by a man named Horatio Spafford, and it was composed by Philip Bliss in 1876. So this guy Spafford, he was uh, he was uh, um, he actually was pretty well off in his life, but he was going through a rough time. He had just lost his four-year-old, which I can't imagine. And he was part of a he was a part of a partnership, a law firm, and so he he was pretty well off right at a bad time to be pretty well off in Chicago. And so he had a lot of investments. And I know that we, we kind of like, especially in America, we're like, oh, a poor, you know, well-off guy had some hard times, right? But he had a lot of investments tied up in real estate in Chicago. And if you know the history of Chicago, right about this time, that was not a good time to have real estate because it all burned down. And so he lost the majority of what he had. And so he's dealing with family tragedy. He's dealing with financial trouble. I think we can all probably connect to that. And so he's trying to get his life back together. And he's got some business dealings in England. So there, he, he books passage for his family, he and his family, to go back to England and handle some stuff. But then there's some stuff that holds him back that he needs to handle in Chicago. So he sends his family on. He's going to come on a second boat. The ship his family's on hits another ship. His wife survives. His four daughters don't. 
And when she gets back across the ocean, I can't imagine how hard it was her, for her to have to send a telegram to him that said, Saved alone, what shall I do? How do you have to say those words? And how do you have to hear those words? Some of you have felt that feeling. Some of you have already gone through a tragedy like that. So this man, Spafford, he gets on a boat to go to England to be with his wife. And at the place where the ship went down that took all the rest of his children, he wrote this hymn. And I find that incredible because the refrain in it is, it is well with my soul. As he's crossing over the place of the greatest tragedy in his life, he writes the words, it is well with my soul. I pray to God I have that kind of strength. Wellness is a, a thing globally now. And it's not just, we don't just think of it in terms of physical wellness anymore, medical wellness. We have a much more holistic approach to wellness now. There's mental wellness, there's financial wellness, right? And we now understand that it's fine to have physical health, but you can have mental health issues and that kind of undercuts your physical health. Or you can have emotional issues and that kind of undercuts or financial issues can cause these other problems. We understand that wellness is not one thing. It's a whole lot of things having to line up. In fact, uh, I, I can't remember what the institute's called. The Global Wellness Institute is apparently a thing. The Global Wellness Institute estimated that the wellness, the global wellness economy was valued at $4.4 trillion in 2020. That's one year, $4.4 trillion, and it grows annually by about 10%. If you're a business owner, 10% growth annually is not bad. It's a lot of money being spent on wellness. It occurs to me, that's a lot of money being spent on wellness. So in your life, just take a quick inventory because this is where we're going to start today. How are you doing? How's your wellness physically? Are you struggling with some medical issues? Mentally, are you tired? Emotionally, are you exhausted? Are you depressed? Are you anxious? Financially, are you struggling? Spiritually, do you feel distant from God? Do you feel like maybe God has walked away from you a little bit? These are all okay things to feel. They're not a shortcoming on you, first and foremost. Understand that that's part of being human. But let's try to find some wellness. Psalm 25, 1 through 15. David's writing this in the middle of, if you know his story, in the middle of a lot of enemies. He's, in, he's on shaky ground. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not put, be put to shame. Let my enemies not exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you will be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. 
For you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Amen. Remember not the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the, up, he teaches the humble his ways. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the ways that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Amen. Does that passage speak to anybody? It does to me. David is looking to find well-being by abiding in the Lord here. We're all looking for well-being. Maybe we're not looking for it in the Lord. But we can. David's going to give us three ways here. How to abide in well-being for my soul. The first way, trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. This is, I think, a thing we gloss over now, especially in the modern church. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus, yeah, all the Jesus stuff. But we do that a lot. I've noticed that, the, that on both sides of, of belief, on people of faith and on people of non-faith, the people of non-faith are like, yeah, 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 you've got your Jesus stuff, but what about the real stuff? And the people of faith, and this is surprising to me, in a lot of cases are like, yeah, yeah, I know the Jesus answer, but what's the real answer? I've had that said to me quite a bit, and it, it rattles me when I hear it. I was like, well, what does that mean? But I think it is telling about the person that I'm talking to. Maybe they're on shakier ground than they think they're on. It's easy to be. So let's break down this, this in, a, in a couple of bits. The first one, we're going to go uh, verses 1 through 3. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Trust in Jesus. David didn't have Jesus yet. He only had the Lord. He knew Jesus was coming. O my God, in you I trust. That word trust is funny. That word trust is, we use it a lot. It's got a couple of different components to it. So I was thinking about this while I was studying this week, and it occurred to me that trust is, it kind of has three different aspects to it. So I want to pin them all down individually, because it kind of means something different depending on the context that you're, you're working in. And so the, what I kind of came up with was there's a, a couple of different kinds of trust. There's earned trust, there's implicit trust, and then there's universal trust. So earned trust would be like, uh, my wife and I trust one another. 
We put our faith in each other, and we've so far been rewarded by, for the most part, a good relationship. And, and, and so I, I assume, because I have always been able to trust her, that now I can trust her. So that's earned trust. She's earned that trust. I understand that trust can be broken if you're dealing with broken trust like that. Sometimes that can create a, a spiritual distrust as well. Just be, keep that in your brain just for a second. We'll, we, we might circle back to that if I uh, go too fast and have to sandbag. <laughs> so earned trust, the person has always done right by me, and therefore I have no reason to assume they won't. Implicit trust is like a baby to their parent. Baby starts crying, assumes the parent's going to take care of them. Doesn't really have a history with this giant human that's walking around. It becomes earned trust through the relationship, but as a baby, it's just like, hey, you, big one, you're supposed to take care of me. It's just instinctual. You, big version of me, be my slave. And then there's universal trust. I assume if I drop an object here or here, it will hit the ground in either place. And if I go to Japan and drop the same object from the same height, it'll take the same amount of time to hit the ground. That's universal trust. I assume that the like, laws of the universe are constant, that, that the same thing that applies here is going to happen there, right? That if I go to another country, they're going to have oxygen I can breathe, all that kind of stuff. There's just sort of universal trust. It strikes me as very interesting because Jesus is the only person that I can think of that checks all three of these boxes. He acted in a way that we can trust. He's, he's always held up his end of the bargain. He's bigger than me. Whether I trust him or not, he is trustworthy. It strikes me as strange. One of the, th the things, I, I like to talk to people um, about a gaudy stuff, go figure. And it, it, one of the things that has always struck me as interesting is I've never talked to somebody and they were like, yeah, but Jesus was a mean guy and, and he, he was a, a jerk and, or, or, he, or, you know, like, it, it's always like, no, no, I think, yeah, I think Jesus was a great teacher and a great human. I think he was an incredible person. I just don't think he's the son of God is all. It's never, it's never like, no, Jesus, he's an idiot. It's not that. It never is that. So even people who fall short of following him acknowledge him as trustworthy. It strikes me as strange then that we put our trust in so many other things or that we write off the notion of, oh my God, in you I trust. Here's what we do. Psalms 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But here's what we should do. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some impose their will on the world to make it the way they want it to. Just historically understand that eventually that crumbles. Even the guys that held onto it for a real long time through force, eventually it crumbles. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God. You probably have this one like taped under your uh, monitor if you work uh, in a corporate office. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. He's trustworthy. He knows. He knows all of it. 
I don't know half of it. I probably don't, I don't even know what I don't know. <laughs> I might not know much. But I'm still trying to do it my way. I'm still trying to fix it. I know I can fix this. I know I can fix this. He understands it all. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Perhaps he doesn't want me fixing that problem that I can't fix. Perhaps he wants me to abandon that problem and go to a different problem. Perhaps he wants me to experience this part before I can even understand that problem. Ultimately, I can't fix it. He can. Psalm 37.5 Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. I really like that last part. I know that part is a point of faith contention for a lot of Christians because God doesn't work on our timeline. Unfortunately, I've sent Him so many Outlook reminders. Hey, next Wednesday... Put it on your calendar, bro. <laughs> and it always comes back like, maybe. <laughs> oh, you got me again with your maybe button. But when he's ready, it's fixed. There's not a problem you got that's bigger than him. There's not an illness that you have that's bigger than him. There's not a medical condition, a mental condition, an emotional condition that's bigger than him. A financial condition that's bigger than him. There's nothing that's bigger than him. He fits outside of the universe. He's bigger than the universe. Y'all, where are my science nerds at? <laughs> Not one? Oh, here we go. My science nerd, singular in the middle. Dude, the universe is so huge. I, I was, I was, this is a, this is a tangent. It has nothing, this is, I'm going to turn this part over so you know it's not part of you. So now we're in unknown territory. We're in weird water now. So I was in uh, high school and this dude, this physicist came in, astrophysicist, trying to explain astrophysics to a bunch of moron 16-year-olds. And so he did this thing where he's like, okay, here's the sun. And he puts a basketball and then he walks, you know, to scale. Here's where the earth is. And it's a little tennis ball or whatever. And he does this thing and he's like, all right, so Pluto would be at town square. And then the closest star to this would be some town in Kansas that he had figured out. And then the next one behind, and, like, and, he's, and he's like, so now the next one behind that is actually on the other side of the moon in this scale. And we haven't gotten outside of our galaxy yet. And my brain went, and I realized very quickly I would not be an astrophysicist. <laughs> that universe is sitting on God's workbench. The black hole, the super black holes in the middle of the galaxies that all of the systems rotate around. He's got a jar of them that he can just drop into spots when he wants them. That dude is the guy I answer to, that I call out to. What kind of problem could I throw at that thing that it can't overcome? So how in the world am I still trying to do it myself? Trust in Jesus. He's worthy. He proved it. He died for us. I can't think of a, a bigger human sacrifice. We honor as heroes those who die for other people. We understand that on a very human level. But we still disregard Christ's death for us. Trust in Him. He's earned it. He loves you enough to die for you. Trust Him.
Number two, be led by Jesus. If you trust him, follow him. If you trust him, that means what he's doing is right. If you trust him, it means even if I think he's out of sorts, I think he's doing things a dumb way. We just acknowledge I'm an idiot. I can't even do astrophysics. If I trust him, why wouldn't I follow him? Be led by Jesus. I'm terrible at money. I have a credit card that I'm pretty sure is magical. Because I just touch it to things and people give me stuff. I don't know how it works. There's definitely elves involved in this thing. My wife is really good at money. Lucky for us, y'all. So I just, whenever I get money, I don't look at it. I just push it to her side of the table. And it's like, you deal with all whatever that is. I'm going to go use my magic, my magic plastic thing. <laughs> so if we ever have a financial conversation, I trust her. If she's ever like, we can't afford to do this, I go, I, I agree. I don't know. <laughs> but I trust her. So what kind of shambles would our relationship be in if I trusted her, but I didn't do what she advised? It would be a, it wouldn't be a relationship, would it? One of the, the interesting parts of this, the, the very first little bit, make me to know your ways. That word in Hebrew, there's a bunch of Hebrew. So I, 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 I prepped with uh, Pastor Jonathan um, and Mike Laramie. He's preaching over at the Wilson campus. Um, so I prepped with those guys. And those guys are both more scholarly than me. Um, I, I, am, I fall somewhere slightly less educated in Hebrew to them. Uh, I don't know if any of you speak Hebrew. If you do, I got a whole bunch of Hebrew written up here. I'm not going to read that part to you. But what I do find interesting is that the word, this word in Hebrew that is used here, make me to know your ways, is the same word that was used in Genesis when it said Adam knew Eve. It's a union. It's not intellectually let me understand your ways. It's let me be one with your ways. It's, it's let me be unified and whole. Let your ways be a part of me. That's a different way of thinking about it than I normally think about it. Teach, lead, instruct. If you count through this, it pops up seven times. This is David talking to God. Teach me. Lead me. Tell me what to do. Psalms 143, verse 5. This is how he's able to lean on God. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. We talked about that last week in The Great is Thy Faithfulness hymn. So David uses three remembers in verses 4 through 10. He says, remember what you've done. He says, don't remember my sins. And then he says, remember me. So that progression in that order is very important. God, you were worthy. God knows he's worthy. He doesn't need David. He doesn't need me to tell him that, right? So why is that the important part? Because I need to remember to tell him that. God, think about all the times you've been there for me. I know I don't deserve it. But be there with me anyway. 
And then I can wrap that one back into this one because two weeks from now, I'll remember that time I didn't deserve it, but God was with me anyway. And I still don't deserve it, but please be with me. He is with me anyway. That's a powerful circle of prayer. John 8, 31 through 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, that's an important part. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I want to be free. Anybody else want to be free? Anybody else want to know the truth? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. What does that mean? If you follow me, if you are led by me, if you go where I'm going, you'll get to where you're supposed to be. Isaiah 54, verse 13. All your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. Quick inventory. I know some of you are probably struggling with this. If for me, if I could just choose one thing that I knew to be come to fruition, it would be that all of my children find God. I don't want anything else. I don't want money. I don't even want the ability to walk or to have arms. I don't want to have a comfortable life. If I can trade all that for all my kids will be taught the Lord and their well-being, their actual well-being will be great. Psalm 43, 3 through 4. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Set the path in front of me that you want me to have, O Lord, my God, and I will walk it. And when I get to the end of that road, I know I will be singing your praises. That's a different way to say what he just said right there. Because I don't play a liar. L-Y-R-E. My accent sometimes makes me turn it into a liar, like a not truth teller. To be a good leader, it's been my experience, you have to have a lot of good follower in you. My daughter once took a, a test. They sent a, a take-home test or whatever. It might have been during like COVID, COVID days or whatever, those, those bleak, dark days when everybody had to homeschool and all of us found out that none of us are teachers except those who are teachers. <laughs> and then the teachers probably found out that they can't teach their kids because kids are crazy. But she had, a, she had a test that she was doing or whatever, and so she, she took all of the tests or whatever, and, and I was looking over her work. It was like a social studies test, I think. And one of the things was, a leader is, and it had A, B, C, D, E, and it was like uh, caring for those they work with, uh, understanding of whatever, whatever. It was all these really good leadership qualities, and then E was all the above. And I made her write in F, and I made her write somebody who has people that will follow them. Because what they actually said is a good leader is 
all of the above. To be a leader, you just have to have idiots that will follow you. That's the actual truth. And so I went to a summit. My workplace sent me to a leadership summit a couple of years ago because apparently they saw some leadership qualities in me or whatever, and they wanted to cultivate them. And so they sent me to a two-day, Thursday, Friday, like all day, sit in the theater and listen to like people talk about leadership. They obviously don't know who I am because for two days I got to sit in a theater and listen to people talk. You are out of your mind. And so the whole time they're all up in the crowd like listening, oh, scribbling notes, and I'm in the back just like this. There's so many people in this room. There's so many people in this room. There's so many people in this room. But I'm, I'm listening as best I can. They at least did let me stand in the back and, and fidget like a weirdo. But, but what had occurred to me at the end of it, they were like, hey, what did, what did you learn at the leadership? And, and I, I just had a sentence written down. And what I wrote was, it, it struck me that none of the people who are teaching leadership mentioned being taught leadership. They all were just put in bad positions, and they talked a lot about understanding the people around them and being there for the people around them and making sacrifices for the people around them. And so the people around them kind of pushed them into a leadership role. That struck me as interesting. I don't think they liked that answer when I gave it to them. But it's true. To be a good leader, you have to lead by example. I can't think of anybody else who has died for me. I can't think of anybody else who loved me so much that they gave up their entire existence for me. I can think of some people that might, that would at least say they would. Maybe they even would. They haven't. Lucky for them, I don't need them to. But Christ understood in order for me to live, he would die. And he did it. He's worth following. Because he's going to make every sacrifice for me. The third way, be forgiven in Jesus. Be forgiven in Jesus. We trust Jesus we're following Jesus. Now, this might be the part that you're hung up on. Be forgiven in Jesus. This is another one that we gloss over a lot as people of faith. <coughs> be forgiven in Jesus. Yeah, Jesus forgives your sins. We say it too many times. Jesus forgives your sins. Oh, Jesus forgives your sins. All your sins? Yeah, all your sins. Jesus forgives your sins. And it loses its magic. It loses its power. Jesus forgives your shortcomings. He doesn't need you to be that thing that you're trying to build yourself into. He doesn't need you to overcome that challenge in your life. He loves you just like you are right now. And he lifts up all the good parts of you. And he devours all the bad parts of you. He takes them and says, they count for nothing. Here, I got a trade for you. Ephesians 2.8 for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. If you don't know Christ at this point in time, what that means is he's offering you a trade of his perfection for your imperfection. That's all it is. It's just that simple. In order to stand in the presence of God, you have to be perfect like God. I'm not perfect like God. 
Therefore, I am not allowed to stand in the presence of God. That does equal true until I have somebody to intercede for me. And Jesus says, I am perfect like God. Let me trade you your imperfection for my perfection. Now, you're perfect. I still act like an idiot. And so I still have to go back to that well a lot. Jesus, forgive me again. You get into some weird theology here of how many times you have to do it and, you know, if the first prayer counts for all of them and you do works versus whatever, whatever. I don't have time to get into a whole bunch of that stuff. If you want to have lunch sometime, we can talk through it. I like that a lot more. But here's what I do know. God's perfect. God had a plan to get me to Him. And as long as I trust Him, as long as I follow Him, as long as I let Him forgive me, when I get down the end of that road, I'll be singing His praises because I know He was right. This word here, pardon my guilt, in uh, verse 11, pardon my guilt for it is great. Pardon my guilt. I think that's a better way to say it because my sins are not forgiven like we think of forgiven. They're paid for. They're abolished. Jesus gave me a receipt so I can keep going back to it. Pardoned. They're pardoned. It's not like he said, okay, you didn't do it. They're forgiven. I don't, I don't even care about them. They're forgiven. It's not like he says you didn't do it. He says it's as though you didn't do it. That's the pardon. I don't have to pay for my crimes. It doesn't mean I didn't do my crimes, but I don't have to pay for them. It's a pardon. I like the, the nuance of that word. Charles Spurgeon writes, hey, he's a pretty good writer, guys. You know, if you don't, if you don't know him, look him up. He who fears God has nothing else to fear. That's a cool line. He who fears God has nothing else to fear. In verse 12 and verse 14, the word fear pops up. Keep in mind this word fear is not like, that stranger thing is too scary for me, I am afeard of it, right? It's not that. It's not, it's not scary, scared like that. It's in, in awe and reverence. It's this thing in front of me is so much that I'm overwhelmed. That's, that's kind of the, the, the articulation of fear right here. Spurgeon's quote is kind of cool because if I am in reverence of God, if I am in line with God, what else can overcome that? Nothing. We already talked about his cool workbench with all the speed of lights and stuff. This word in verse 14, this is another cool word. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And He makes known to them His covenant. The friendship right there is another cool Hebrew word that I can't pronounce. But it is the secret counsel. That makes it sound way cooler. The secret counsel of the Lord. I have this image of like as a kid... We used to go out in the wood and build these insanely dangerous tree houses because there was no oversight. And I just remembered, like me and my friends would go out there and, and play in these things. And it was just us out in the wilderness, which to me now as a parent sounds dangerous, but, but we had our own little world out there. Nobody else in the world knew it exists. Nobody else in the world remembers it. That's what this is. It's a secret friendship with God. It's a relationship that only you have. Verse 18. 
forgive. Take them away. Take them away. This is, I think, the coolest thing about the way he prayed. Remember what you've done for me. Forgive. Don't remember my bad stuff. Please forgive my sins. I don't know if you catch it, but let me, I'm going to read it one more time. Uh, Verse 18. If you could put your eyeballs on verse 18 real quick. Make a note of it. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Spurgeon writes it better than I can say it. Forgive all my sins is the cry of a soul that is more sick of sin than of pain and would sooner be forgiven than healed. God, see all this stuff. See all my enemies who are bearing down on me and see this weight that I carry and see this sickness that I'm going through and forgive my sins. Not take away my enemies. Not take away my affliction. See what I'm going through, God, and make me right with you. That's an incredible, powerful prayer. That's a recycling of being forgiven in Jesus. God's nature is forgiveness. Psalm 86, verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. It's just the way he is. Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Not me. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With you there is forgiveness. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins going on and on and on. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God is a being of forgiveness. Christ is a being of sacrificial forgiveness, redemption, It does not matter how badly you think you are off. It does not matter how badly you think you've messed up your life. It does not matter that you feel guilty because you prayed this magic prayer that was supposed to save you, but now you're still struggling with the same or maybe new sins and vices. And it does not matter that you fall back into it. As long as when you do, you go back to God and say, God, remember that time you forgave me? I'm messed up. Help. You know He can do it. You've seen Him do it. Or maybe you haven't seen him do it. And so you keep trying. Maybe instead, let him give it a try. Take inventory right now. Where you are. Do you trust in Jesus? 
Answer yes or no to yourself right now. Do you trust in Jesus? Be honest. It's not a Christian test. Do you follow Jesus? Be honest. Do you rest in the forgiveness of Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we are small, but you are great. Father God, we are hurt, but you are a healer. Father God, we fall short, but you can never be overcome. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for this place you've given us to worship you. But make us a people who would worship you even if we didn't have this place. Help us to stop trying to overcome our own shortcomings and understand that you've already overcome them. That you've always been bigger than them and you'll always be bigger than them. And you've already traded your perfection for our imperfection. And if you're in this room right now and you want that but you don't have it, I've got incredible news. It's available to you. It's sitting right in front of you. It's gift-wrapped. You can have it. It's yours. Just pray like this. Father God, I'm a sinner. I work against you. I've turned away from you. And I've done things that maybe if I'm being honest, I don't believe you can forgive. Because I can't forgive them in myself. But I want to submit to you now. Because I know that you love me. And I know that you've given an incredible gift for me in your son. And I know that he came to earth and he died to pay for my sin. To trade me for his perfection. I accept that perfection. There's not magic in those words, but there's magic in the spirit of those words. That if that is your heart, the God that cannot be wrong has already told you, I accept that trait. If you're a person of faith and you feel far away from God, if you feel too small to call to God, if you feel too dirty to pray to God anymore. God's bigger than you. You cannot overcome God. Call out to Him. Father God, I know You said You forgive me, and I accepted that. But I messed up again. But I've gotten far from You. But I don't ever spend time with You anymore. I don't ever pray to You anymore. I don't sit silently and listen for your voice anymore. I don't study your word anymore. I don't have a relationship with you anymore. But I want one. I miss it. Show me the way to get back to you. Make path, make straight my path to return to you. If you feel like you're doing pretty well, 
And I got bad news for you. Put your head on a swivel because there's a lot of people around you that are struggling. They need you. They need you so bad. So if that's you, Father God, show me where you need me to go and I'll go. Put in my life the person that is, needs to be in my life and I'll accept him with open arms. Put forgiveness in my heart for the number of times these people are going to hurt me in the path that we're about to walk and let me take their hand and walk and make our road straight to you. Father God, we love you. Amen. Amen.